We're in a sermon series in the Sermon on the Mount right now, and we've got a little less than two months to go as we finish up the longest teaching of Jesus we have. And we're at a point where we're kind of changing topics and sections here in the middle of Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus, so far in the first 18 verses, has been talking about giving, praying, and fasting. He transitioned from chapter five where he talks about, hey, look, you think it was just the letter of the law setting a minimum behavior? Actually, I want your hearts to be different. It's not just about adultery, it's about lust. It's not just about murder, it's about anger. It's not just about taking an oath and keeping your oath, it's about letting your yes be yes and your no be no. And so he goes on, he says, it's a a matter of your heart, not just the letter of the law. Then he shifts over to chapter six and he says, Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, and here's how to live out this walk with God. You're not living it before other people to earn their praise. You're living it before the eyes of your father in heaven. So when you give, when you pray, when you fast, don't do it to get praise from people. Do it for the reward of your father. And then this section here, starting in verse 19, kind of serves as the ending of the first part of chapter six, and also at the same time, the beginning of the next section he's jumping into. Which scholars have had a hard time wondering, what's the theme of the next section? But most agree that he's kind of moving into looking at how we relate, followers of Jesus relate to the world around us. So the next couple of weeks, we're gonna look at first our treasures this week, and next week we're gonna look at what it means to be anxious. How do we handle the anxieties that life throws at us. But this week, starting in verse 19, read with me from 19 to 24 in Matthew chapter six. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye's healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye's bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either, either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Lord Jesus, open our eyes to see this text to see you in this text and help us to see how to follow you so that this becomes the reality of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So what is it that you're living for? Some of you may be thinking, I just wanna survive the day. Like that's my motivating vision right now, Sunday morning, I wanna make it to Monday morning. Maybe you want to survive this season of life. Maybe it's been particularly challenging. But what's your motivation for life right now? Do you have some great goal, some huge aim that you're going after? I've kind of always operated in my life that I look forward to the next thing. It could be a vacation. When I played sports as a kid, it was the next game. I used to say when I grew up playing football, I could not see past the next Friday night. That was all there was, all consuming. Wake up at 6 a.m. and go to workouts, pick up my lunch and go watch film, stay two or three hours after school and practice and do it over and over and over again and then have a game and then wake up the next day and go watch film on the game we just played. 
I could not see past the next Friday. That was my motivating vision was, are we going to win the next game? What's the next big thing you're looking forward to right now? Could be a vacation. Could be a stellar lunch you're about to go to, a new car, a new job, a new house. Maybe kids. What's the motivating vision right now of your life? What's the thing that's keeping you going, keeping you waking up? I think if Jesus were here, he would call the answer to these questions your treasure. It's the thing that right now is most functionally important to you. That is our treasure. And not just a treasure chest full of money, not just the number in your bank account. Some of us can't have that number in the bank account as our treasure. Or else we would just be sorely disappointed most of the time. But what is your treasure? I think what we see in this text is that your greatest treasure will shape your whole life. Your greatest treasure is going to shape your whole life. You can't get away from that. The reality is you will always treasure something, and that treasure will give shape to the rest of your life. And here's where we're going to go this morning. You kind of, maybe you heard it in the text. There's kind of three different illustrations Jesus uses. And we're going to look at how your treasure reflects the reality of your heart, It reflects the reality of your heart. It shows you where your heart is. Number two, your treasure affects the health of your heart. This is the eye and the lamp of the body, really confusing. Your treasure affects the health of your heart. And last, we're going to see that your treasure demands the obedience of your heart. So starting this morning, your treasure reflects the reality of your heart. We've already said it. We all treasure something. All of our lives are always making deposits into some account. We all want something more than anything else. We all value something more than everything else. That's part of what I think it means to be made in the image of God, that we're worshipers, we're lovers, and we're always looking for something to love most. The question is not if we have treasure, but actually, according to Jesus in verse 19, it's where is our treasure? Is it something earthly or something Heavenly. And you say, what's the difference? Earthly treasure is everything that's not going to make it into eternity. And heavenly treasure is everything that will actually last beyond death, beyond the grave, and into eternity. But what Jesus is saying here, his point is that your treasure will reflect the reality of your heart. Because he's got this wonderful statement in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I read some wonderful things that helped me see how I've actually been reading this a little bit wrongly my, most of my life. Because... On the surface, it looks like it's kind of just saying the same thing two times. Wherever your treasure is, is where your heart's going to be also. Whatever you love the most is where you're going to love the most. And, and I read people said, wait a minute, let's think carefully about this. He's not just saying the same thing twice in one sentence. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The heart, remember what the Bible says about the heart. It's the center of your person. It's not just your love, it's the center of who you are. It's almost synonymous with your inner being. So where your treasure is, another way to say this is where your treasure is, that's who you really are. So if you wanna know who you really are, we can look at your treasure. Your treasure reflects the reality of your heart. If you're not sure who you are, we can look at the things that you treasure. And you say, how do you know what you treasure? Well, uh, I've heard Lynn share this example in the last couple months that he, he thinks you can measure anything, okay? That's part of his 
wiring, what he studied in school and what he does for a living. You can measure anything. And he had a guy one time say, no, you can't, you can't measure how much I love my wife. And Lynn showed great respect and restraint and did not actually say what he was thinking, but he thought, I absolutely can measure how much you love your wife. Uh, you spend no time with her. You work till 10 o'clock every night. The only time you hang out with her is when you go to Vegas and drink and gamble your time away. You complain about her when you're not with her. I can absolutely measure how much you love your wife. Now, he didn't say this, but then he uh, said, now hindsight, a couple years later, and their marriage didn't last. You can, he, and he says, you can measure anything. So measuring your treasure is not just where does your money go, although that's probably a massive part of it. How you spend your time speaks to your treasure. How you spend your money speaks to your treasure. What you focus on speaks to your treasure. What you're willing to drop everything to do speaks to your treasure. What you're willing to say no to speaks to your treasure. What you're willing to say yes to speaks to your treasure. And what we treasure actually gives us a glimpse into who you really are. We, uh, we just started playing uh, sport. We just started playing baseball. Had our first practice yesterday. And I can already tell you <laughs> it's going to be a, a battle of, the, of our calendars. Okay, five and six-year-old baseball and uh, sends out the first three days of practice and it's three different days. One week, three days of practice. I'm already going, this is a lot. It's three different days. So I send a message, hey, are we gonna have like the same days every week? He's like, no. And I'm just thinking to myself, I did not sign my calendar over to you when we signed up to play baseball. I didn't just give you free reign like, dude, just tell me, we're, we're free. You just tell me when you want to do this, and I'm there. So I'm already a little skeptical. And now look, I was, this was indoctrinated in me from my parents, and I'm thankful. But I kind of fired, because he'd already scheduled one Friday night at like 6 o'clock, so these six-year-olds can get drafted next year. <laughs> and I'm going, we're not, we're not going to make it. Like, we have our gospel community on Friday. I'm like, we're not going to practice. So I just respond, hey, we're not going to be able to make it. Probably on, if you do anything on Friday nights, like that's going to be really hard for us. There may, you know, if there's a game or something, that'll be a little different. But I'm not going to make it Friday. And I said, do you, what do you think about like uh, Sundays? Sundays are just wide open for the world. And they're not for me. He said, yeah, we're definitely going to have stuff on Sunday. And I said, we will not make a single thing. Real like fundamentalist of me, right? <laughs> that's part of how I was raised, but that's part of my commitment. I, I don't want the creep. Like, my life will creep towards replacing God things with world things. And it will be one step and one step and one step. Trust me. Now, I was raised with uh, never playing on an all-star baseball team, invited every year. My dad would do his due diligence every year. We'd love to play winter uh, games and practices. Well, every game is going to be on Sunday. Sorry, we're out. I remember as a kid just being like, Sorry. You know, and, and the walk of shame away from thinking, I want to play, but I didn't. And then I'm finally, I'm a freshman in high school, getting to dress out for varsity football. I'm a sophomore in high school, getting to play varsity football. Incredible, like I'm thrilled, a little scared because seniors don't like younger, and it's just this uh, interesting environment. I'm trying to quietly be as good as I can and get playing time. And practice is going to like 6.30 or 7. Youth group starts at like 6 or 6.30. My dad's like, so 20-minute drive to church. When are you going to ask coach if you can leave early? 
do what? When are you gonna ask, coach, if you can leave early from practice? I'm like, oh, leave early from the practice where I'm barely gonna play at all because I'm a sophomore and I don't have that much respect. I haven't earned this position. And I'm just gonna say, hey, can I leave early one day a week? He's like, yeah, when are you gonna do it? Sounds like tomorrow I'm gonna do that. And I did and my coach was gracious and guess what? All of a sudden, all my friends wanted to go to church because you got to leave practice early if you go to church with Johnny. <laughs> and I say, I let's say, where's your, where's your treasure? Your time, your commitments will determine your treasure. If you make plans, but you don't really make plans and you have something on the calendar, but you don't really have that on there and you're willing to kind of forego that to see if something better comes along, I, I, know, I know where your treasure is. Right, if, if gathering with God's people is optional, it's the uh, sunny day, rainy day conundrum. Maybe you've heard me talk about it. It's, the weather's awful, it's so rainy, I don't wanna get out and go to church. Or it's a beautiful day, it's too, I gotta go outside, I don't wanna go to church. The sun's out. I, I can speak to where your treasure is. But Jesus says our treasure reflects the reality of our hearts, so we can actually trace the fruit of our lives to the root of our heart. If we have an earthly treasure, we have an earthly heart. If we have a heavenly treasure, we have a heavenly heart, is what Jesus is saying. So where you spend your money, your time, your energy, where you set your mind, the limits you do or don't set on your spending, on your work, are gonna speak to who you are as a person. And Jesus is saying, be careful. Because our treasure does reflect the reality of our heart, but also he's saying, the next point, your treasure affects the health of your heart. Now, he gives us a little bit of an odd saying, so let's read it and let's look at it. The eye is the lamp of the body, right? You tracking with that? I am not at all. When I read that this week, I was like, okay, we gotta do this. This is the advantage of preaching verse by verse through sections of scripture. It's all inspired by God, but if you have to pick text, there's gonna be some you always skip. When you preach in order, you come to the hard ones and you go, Jesus, what does this mean? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye's healthy, your whole body's gonna be full of light. But if your eye's bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? It's kind of an odd saying. But if you understand a little bit about first century uh, Old Testament Proverbs, this whole idea of a good eye and a bad eye actually has uh, some symbolic meaning. You can go read some verses in the Proverbs that talk about someone with an evil eye and it means they're stingy and they're greedy. Okay, so now in the context of treasure, you're going, okay, I see what he's saying here. It's kind of this play on words. If you have an evil eye, your whole body's gonna be healthy, unhealthy. If you have this bad eye, your whole body's gonna be unhealthy because you're gonna, the, the way you view money is you're greedy and you're stingy and it's gonna shape your whole life around that treasure. But if you have a good eye, your whole body will be healthy. Well, wait a minute, what does good eye mean? Well, this word for good doesn't just mean like thumbs up, buddy. It means healthy and whole and singularly devoted. So most scholars said, look, th these phrases can either mean two totally separate things or you can kind of view them as going together. Like, does it mean don't be greedy, but rather be generous? Or does it mean the bad eye means you're kind of a hypocrite? And the good, singular, wholehearted eye means you're singularly devoted on the Lord. And most that I read said, wait a minute, you can view them actually as one and the same thing. 
Because I, I do think they're pointing to the same thing, that to have a bad eye means we're not singularly devoted to God, but we're rather storing up earthly treasures that Jesus just warned us about. And that means we must work as hard as we possibly can to store these treasures up because this is all we have. So Jesus is saying, wherever your eye is set, if it's on earthly treasures, if it's not holy and singularly devoted on the Lord, if it's greedy and stingy, double-minded, hypocritical, your whole body is gonna be unhealthy. So what we set our treasures on doesn't just reveal where our hearts is, it actually sets the trajectory of the health of who we are. It's not just a reflection, it, it affects who you are. But if you have a good eye, a healthy eye, a singular and wholehearted eye aimed on the Lord, that also will affect the health of your heart. And he goes on to say that wherever your eyes are focused, there's going to let in light or darkness. You don't have to read much of the Bible to understand the tension between light and darkness in God's word. Light is good, darkness is not. Where's your eye set? If good eye or bad eye? To repeat the question from verses 19 to 21, where's your treasure? Because I think Jesus is kind of getting at the same thing here. What we focus on is ultimately what we will become. It's a theme throughout scripture. We become what we worship. And if you go read some of the prophets in the Old Testament, what you'll find is the prophets from God who are speaking to the idol worshipers of God's people and they, they always have some snarky comment about, look, you chopped that tree down and carved it to look like that. Now you're worshiping it. That's silly. So one of the things you'll see prophets say to idol worshipers is, from the Lord, God, having eyes, they don't see. Just like an idol made of wood. Having ears, they don't really hear. They have these senses, but they can't use them. And so what he's saying is, you're worshiping idols like that, so you're going to become like that. You're worshiping an idol that doesn't really have eyes, so what's going to happen to you is you're not going to be able to see the spiritual realities of God. You're worshiping an idol that has wooden ears and can't hear. You're going to become just like that. We see this come to kind of fruition with the golden calf story. You know what happens? Moses is up literally meeting with God on a mountain of a massive storm, and they can see it happening. And they just kind of turn their back on the Lord. One of the first commandments was don't create an image. And they make a golden calf. And Aaron says, behold, this is the God that rescued you out of Egypt. And they all worship it. And Moses comes down and breaks the tablets. And do you know what happens next? He comes down angry, breaks the tablets, and grinds up the golden calf, puts it in their water, and makes them drink it. Why? You become what you worship. They literally took it inside of them. So what you worship, what you treasure, what your eye is set on is what you will ultimately become. And I kept thinking about baseball as I kept reading good eye, bad eye. Like, good eye. Hey, what? And we did baseball practice yesterday, right? Good eye. When you see a, when you see a pitch come in, are you going to swing or not? If you don't swing at a bad pitch, that means you have a good eye. It was not a good pitch to hit. You saw that it was not a good pitch. You did not offer at it. You did not swing at it. You let it go right on by. That's a good eye. Hey, good eye. 
right? I never hear someone in baseball say, bad eye. I hear them say, bad player. But you don't hear the bad eye phrase. But if you flip it, good eye, bad eye, what's bad eye? You're swinging at bad pitches. You're swinging at pitches that are coming in, and maybe you don't even recognize that it's a bad pitch, and you're thinking, no, this is the one I'm going to hit. And you swing, and you're missing because it's maybe so far away or too far inside or high or low, and and your eyes aren't recognizing, hey, this is not good. I'm not going to succeed if I swing at this. Good eye, bad. Are you able to see the things in the world for what they really are? Do you have a good eye for the treasures of the world? That money's not evil but do you have a good eye to, to lay off a little bit and recognize, wait a minute, I, if I put all my stock here in money, if I put every treasure I have in what this world can offer me, it's gonna be a big swing and a miss in the end because it's not gonna deliver what it's promising to deliver. So your treasure reflects the reality of your heart and your treasure affects the health of your heart. But last, we see that your treasure demands the obedience of your heart. Another pretty famous saying of Jesus here in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one, love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Having two masters would surely create massive conflict. Ultimately, they'd fight for true allegiance. And what would happen if they ever contradicted each other? You could never fully, wholly, and singularly be devoted to more than one master. You in your life can never be fully and wholly devoted to more than one thing. So Jesus kind of upped the ante a little bit. It's not just about, hey, put a little treasure here, a little treasure there. I'll diversify my spiritual treasures. At the end, There's no room for diversification. Jesus says, you're either serving God or you're not. You either have one master or you don't. And what does it really mean to obey? You can't serve two masters, or or I'm thinking obey. You can't obey two masters. Well, it means to obey our treasure, to obey, serve this master. It means that we bring our whole lives in line with it. That whatever is ultimate for us, we're gonna bring everything that we do, everything that we think, Everything is going to serve that master. Everything is going to serve us to gain that treasure. So again, we let our time, our energy, our money, our resources serve that highest treasure. And that highest treasure will demand our whole heart. And ultimately, it will crowd out every other allegiance. The question is not if you will serve something, but what or who you will serve. So again, the word of Jesus Be careful what you treasure because it reflects who you are. It reflects your heart. Also affects the health of your heart because ultimately you're gonna become what you worship. And also whatever you worship, whatever you treasure, it will force your life into submission to that thing so that you will serve it like a master. I actually think we see these principles live out in the life of Jesus. Do you think Jesus spend his life trying to amass earthly treasure or heavenly treasure? I think it's pretty obvious what the right answer is, but do we see this in scripture? I I think we do. Isaiah 53 is looking forward to the servant of God who's gonna come and bring salvation. And it tells us that when the servant comes, he's not gonna be one that we'd marvel at with beauty and majesty and glory. He's not gonna be this really famous, well-known, good-looking guy. He's actually gonna be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, It says he would be afflicted. 
And we see that in the life of Jesus, right? If Jesus came wanting to amass earthly treasure, he would have come with fame and pomp and circumstance. He would have come ready to be praised. But he intentionally took a body that didn't look amazing because he did not want that kind of fame. He actually chose to come from and be known as Jesus of Nazareth, which we know from the Gospels was a town with a less than stellar reputation. I'm thinking about the time they said, can anything good come from Nazareth? If Jesus were wanting to amass earthly treasure, surely he would have chosen a a more reputable place to come from. A better known place with a better reputation that would precede him. And then in his life, he hung out with social outcasts. People who offered him nothing really, except for shame. People like tax collectors, prostitutes, adulterers. And then people just, I love the category, sinners. He just hung out with people who were known to be sinners. Now, if Jesus were coming to build up earthly treasures, would he have done that? Or would he have tried to schmooze his way in with the wealthy that could give him something? That could offer him some fame? That could offer him some money? A a more comfortable life than essentially what looks like a homeless nomad? And then towards the end of his life, we see his suffering and his agony, even in the Garden of Gethsemane. If he wanted earthly treasures, why would he have willingly laid down his life? And he says as much in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's praying before he goes to the cross, God, if there's any other way. I mean, he felt the tension of what he was about to step into. And if Jesus wanted earthly treasure, that doesn't seem like a good way to do it. To me, that's one of the greatest arguments for real person, the real historical person of Jesus and the reality of our Christian faith. One of the greatest arguments is that it's absolutely ludicrous to willingly believe in something like this. It's, it's ridiculous to believe that a man died on a cross that the whole town knew and saw and then that man came back to life three days later. Doesn't that sound crazy? Why would the disciples, if they were trying to build an earthly religion that they just made up, why would they give their lives for something they knew was a lie? I, I think the only reasonable explanation is that they actually knew it wasn't a lie. That they actually saw the risen Lord Jesus. I think that's the best explanation we have for why they ended up giving. If they had given three years to follow him, he died and never came out of the grave why would they go to such great lengths to cover up those three years of foolishness? If he died and they never heard from him again, surely they would have just said, okay, on to the next. I mean, surely they would have tried to forget about it and move on, maybe humble themselves and go back to fishing or collecting taxes. But that's not the story we have. We have a story of a Jesus that's so radically otherworldly that he actually led the beginning 12 and then at the beginning of Acts, we know there's 120 in the upper room and then thousands and millions of people to give up earthly treasures because of a heavenly reality that they've laid hold of or actually that's laid hold of them. And the secret to the whole thing is in Hebrews 12, one and two. We see exactly how Jesus did it and we see how we're supposed to do it. In verse two, we say, it says that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he looks and sees joy. He's standing before the cross and he sees joy 
And he endures the cross, despises the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. If he wanted earthly treasures, he couldn't have despised shame because the shame would have destroyed his earthly treasures. But he actually looked through the shame in this world, through the cross in this world, to the joy in the next. And that enabled him to endure what was happening in this world. That seemed like it was stripping him of every earthly treasure he had. But actually what it was doing is it was building an even greater heavenly treasure for him. Winning the salvation of you and I. And now for us, so how do we do that? Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Run with endurance. Run this race of the Christian life. Run, run, run. How do we run? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The only way that we can rightly order our treasures, let go of earthly treasures, and pursue heavenly treasures is by looking to Jesus, who did this perfectly on our behalf, and also who enables us to do it every day single day. Let's pray together. God, we love you and we love this word as much as it challenges us. We know it gives us what we need. And God, I need to take a treasure audit of my heart. What am I loving the most? What am I, what am I valuing more than everything else in this world? Or maybe it's something tangible or something intangible. And I pray this morning we would be brought back to you. We'd repent from these other treasures and turn. And we would treasure you more than everything else, God. So we love you and we're grateful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.